Today's episode is brought to you in part by Logos. Logos combines digital books with intelligent software to help you study the Bible deeply. Do word studies with one click, search for virtually anything in your Bible, and enjoy dozens of features that help you see more in Scripture. Right now, you can find my book, Virtuous Persuasion, A Theology of Christian Mission, as well as get a listener discount on Logos by visiting logos.com slash mniebauer. That's logos.com slash mniebauer. Why do Christians proclaim, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, each Sunday at church? How can God be merciful and just? And what is the relationship between justice and mercy? What does it mean for us to show mercy on our enemies? Welcome to This We Believe, the podcast where we explain the essential texts of the Christian faith. My name is Dr. Michael Niebauer. Jesus continues the Beatitudes by declaring, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. In the Bible, mercy is first and foremost a quality of God. It is a complex word that refers to God's steadfastness, compassion, and his ability to forgive. The Psalms often speak of God's mercy coupled with his compassion and steadiness. Psalm 85, for instance, declares that God is compassionate and merciful, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy. Mercy is a word that is usually applied to how God treats human beings, particularly when human beings fall into sin. God's mercy is evident in the sheer fact that he does not abandon humanity when humanity abandons him. We see God's mercy made evident in the Bible immediately after the first sin of Adam and Eve. God offers to Adam and Eve a chance to confess their sins and receive forgiveness. Then, when Adam and Eve refuse this offer and are cast out of Eden, God shows his compassion on them by providing animal skins as clothing for protection for their harsh life east of Eden. Even though Adam and Eve have sinned against him, God still desires to provide help and comfort for them nevertheless. Later in the Bible, we see God's steadfastness exemplified in his willingness to continue to extend forgiveness and compassion in the tabernacle and temple sacrifices of Israel. These sacrifices were a reminder that Israel continued to sin, yet God continued to offer forgiveness. Every invitation to come to the temple was an invitation to receive forgiveness. Perhaps the most difficult aspect of mercy that we encounter in the Bible is its relationship to justice. In the Bible, God's mercy often supersedes God's justice. For instance, Jesus states that God makes the sun shine down on both the just and the unjust. God gives the provisions of food, clothing, and shelter to both victim and oppressor alike. We also see the supremacy of mercy in the Ten Commandments. Here, God says that he will punish sins to the fourth generation, but he will show love to those who keep his commands to a thousand generations. This is a sign that God's forgiveness and mercy last longer than his judgments. But of course, we see God's mercy fully manifested on the cross of Jesus Christ. At the cross, we see the whole known world line up to condemn Jesus in the greatest act of injustice in human history. 
And yet, as Jesus is dying on the cross, he asks the Father to forgive the crowds. While Jesus could have demanded justice from the crowd, he instead pleads for mercy. This is an extraordinarily difficult thing for many of us to accept. Our world is filled with injustice, and each day we are made aware of these injustices in a constant stream of news stories and graphic images pouring through our phones and computers. This information invites us to constantly judge and critique, and we are led to believe that those who refuse to speak out against these injustices are complicit with them. The Bible, of course, is not silent about injustice. The prophets constantly decry the injustices of the world. As Christians, we have confidence in the final judgment of Jesus Christ and a life of perfect justice in our heavenly Mount Zion. However, God still leads with mercy, extending his continual forgiveness to all those who believe and trust in him. Do we like that mercy supersedes justice? This depends on how we view our own lives. If we believe that through our own power we are good, nice, pious, and righteous, then God's mercy will offend us. God will appear to be unfair, providing his mercy to those who do not deserve it. However, if we acknowledge our sin, our weakness, and our continual failings, then we will receive God's mercy with joy. We know that God will continue to forgive us even when we fall into sin again and again. If God were only just, our lives would be doomed. We would be rightfully condemned as sinners. However, because of God's mercy, we can joyfully receive his steadfast compassion towards us and his continual forgiveness. this beatitude, Jesus invites his followers to be merciful as God has shown them mercy. What does it look like for human beings to show mercy towards one another? In order to understand what this looks like, it is helpful to look at one particular instance of mercy that we often see in the world, and that is the mercy that a parent shows towards their wayward child. Many of us know stories of parents whose children go through difficult and rebellious teenage years. The teenager might say mean things about their parent or run away from home or abuse drugs or commit crimes. A merciful parent steadfastly continues to love their child through these wayward times. Their heart aches. They shed fountains of tears and anguish over what has become of their child. They hope and pray that their child would turn back, and they stand ready to forgive their child when they do. While the aggrieved parent might have every right to demand that justice be done to their child, out of mercy they pray that love and reconciliation might supersede justice. Now, the key to understanding Jesus' exhortation to be merciful is to apply this situation to every relationship in our lives. We are called to have the same loving, patient compassion that a mother has for their wayward child for every person in our lives, even our enemies. When we see someone whose life is falling apart, we lead with compassion and pity rather than judgment. We always choose to see another as first and foremost a child created in the image of God, rather than a sinner eternally condemned by God. When we see the sin in other people's lives, what we long for is not their judgment and condemnation. 
Instead, our heart aches and we shed tears for them, hoping that they might repent and turn and embrace Jesus Christ. The self-righteous person sees the sins of others and seethes with rage, wishing for fire to consume them. The merciful person sees the sins of others and weeps, praying for their conversion. Additionally, we are called to be steadfast in showing this mercy. The greater the sin we see in others, the greater compassion we are called to have. Our deepest hope for each and every person, no matter how sinful, is that they might turn and embrace Jesus and in turn exude the love of God. We are never content to write off anyone as beyond the love and mercy of God. This is extraordinarily difficult. So often, our first response when we encounter the sin and weaknesses of others is judgment. When we see a dilapidated house, we judge the laziness of its owners rather than weep at their waywardness. When we see a rich businessman profiting off the poor, we pray not for his immortal soul, but for his mighty downfall. We all seem to have our secret list of issues and sins that we believe deep down are beyond God's mercy. But the merciful person learns to cultivate a heart of compassion for all of God's creation, to behold the brokenness of the world with tears instead of fire. This is done first and foremost in prayer. When we are struggling to be merciful towards someone else, we should commit to praying for them, even to the point of weeping for their immortal soul. Through this these intimate moments lifting up our enemies in prayer, God will slowly turn our hearts of stone into merciful hearts of flesh. Christians are reminded of God's mercy each and every time they go to church on Sunday. From the earliest days of the church, Christians have acknowledged their sins and said or sung the words Kyrie eleison in response. These words mean, Lord, have mercy, and are usually said together with the phrase, Christ, have mercy, at the beginning of Christian worship. The point of this litany is twofold. First, it is meant to remind us that we are sinners in need of God's mercy. The words, Lord, have mercy, are here a kind of plea in which we beg God to show us compassion for our failings. Yet these words, Lord, have mercy, also serve as a declaration that God is merciful, The weekly constancy of these words remind us that though we are inconsistent in our love of God, God is never inconsistent in his love of us. He stands as the most merciful God, and as this reality sinks deeper and deeper into our souls, we will become blessed people who are merciful towards others. I'd like to thank you for joining me today on This We Believe. If you have enjoyed this episode, I ask that you leave a review for us on iTunes. And you can also follow us on Twitter at we underscore believe underscore pod. Take care and God bless.